really different that no one else has ever done before. Yeah. But we want to see some case studies of where other people have done it before, so we know it works. <laughs> it's like you can't you can't have it both ways. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F, this is all you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career, leading marketing teams and as a trusted client advisor. And I hope through these conversations to share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the rock star in you. Come say hello. You can find this podcast at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 30th of April, and wherever you are, I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In today's show, Jeff Clark returns for a slightly remixed one-hit wonder or Wonderwall. I meet Russ Powell, founder and MD of Sharper B2B Marketing, and I again get transported away in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. And join Robert Rose for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. I'm again joined by Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director for Serious Decisions and Forrester. Regular listeners might remember our one-hit wonder or wonderful segment. Well, we're returning to that. Only slightly remixed. Welcome back, Jeff. How are you, my friend? Hello. I am doing well. Right. And we've got, a, uh, we've slight, well, it's not really a brand new section. It's a slightly amended remix. Amended, evolved. We're evolved. evolving. Yes. We're evolving men. So we've evolved this to <laughs> one hit wonder, wonder wall or one to watch as this next yes. section. Because I think what was happening before was we just couldn't decide that something was a one hit wonder or wonder wall and we needed a well, third option. Right? Well, not, not everything is, you know, one and out or, <laughs> you know, onto the future. Sometimes it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Let's yeah. see what's going to happen to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've got a good topic this week. Um, last week, I was chatting to Alex Lowe, and we were talking about getting rid of MQLs and SQLs, or certainly that sort of um, handoff uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the customer journey. And then the weird thing is, is previous to that, l- the week before, I was talking to Julie Ogilvy, as you know, uh, and you made the introduction, a uh, lovely conversation with her, and I'd, I'd urge anybody to go seek out that conversation, not for my bit, but for obviously for Julie's bit, because she was yep. great. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she talks about MQLs, SQLs, TQLs, and ZQLs, if I remember it rightly, about all of that craziness that happens in the, in the middle of the customer journey. Um, and that's sort of really, I mean, we were discussing it before the show, and that's really about customer journey orchestration. So customer journey orchestration, once... One hit wonder, wonder wall, or one to watch. What say you, Jeff? Well, I say we better figure out how to say that. <laughs> we got to roll off the tongue. It's a lot of ones there, and um, <laughs> but it is, um, I you know, it the um, so from the technology perspective, this area that Alex Alexander referenced was the you know customer journey orchestration is a really interesting area uh it's an area to watch and um uh i probably shouldn't have tipped my hand on that <laughs> but, 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 but one, i'm wondering where this is gonna go yeah where's this going <laughs> well now i know where it's going but um 
it is, but I certainly dealt with a number of clients that, that were really struggling with the concept that it's supposed to, um, supposed to solve or the problem is the challenge is supposed to solve. So I just, so one thing I was thinking is, you know, we should start back with, and Alex had kind of referenced this too, you know, the process versus, um, you know, versus, you know, whether it's the technology or, you know, other, other aspects that you're trying to think of. It's like, you, you really have to understand what the process you're trying to drive is. And that was one of the things that, was clear when I was working with clients at, at the uh, serious decisions forester is that, is that, you know, people would, would rush to, you know, and, and, and probably serious decisions was as much responsible for this as, as anyone. It's like, okay, there's this process where we get inquiries and we, we, you know, we, uh, you know, send them to somebody to qualify. So we got, we got MQLs and then we send them to sales, da, da, da. Yeah. and everyone just had that fixed in their head. Um, and, and sometimes that is, appropriate. And so as much as it's easy to say, let's just throw that out, you know, because um, that's old guard or whatever. It's like, well, you know, we, if you really analyze your, the process of, of understanding your, your addressable market, your opportunities, and they, as, as you engage them, as you try to work them through the system um, from some companies where they're total, total net new marketing has the major responsibility for generating opportunities that works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true for everybody. So one of the things I think that's first you want to do first as a marketer is you need to define what the process is engaged with the sales team. It's not marketing has a process by which we engage clients, create mm-hmm. leads and move them on. Mm-hmm. It's because, because you're doing it in parallel with sales and you might be yeah. doing it in parallel with a teleservices team and yeah. sales might own the teleservices team or you might own the tele. Yeah. So there's just there's too many variables to say there's a simple answer. Yeah. And so so that's that's the first thing. And and actually the monitoring of that process, you know, when as you're seeing um you know inquiries come in and people en- engaging with with um accounts and stuff like that, that should be done with sales as well, as opposed mm-hmm. to marketing is monitoring their part of the process and sales is monitoring their part of the process. Yeah. And that's you know, one area this is where um and then you know another one to watch category we might want to discuss at some point is the whole revenue operations mm-hmm. function because that's where you you try to combine, you know, the view of process and technology that supports all this together in one mm-hmm. Uh, one team. Um, but it is you, the, the second, you know, so one is, is sales and marketing to be looking and defining the process together. The second thing is that you need to be looking at it from an account perspective in business to business marketing and selling, mm-hmm. not from a lead perspective, not from an individual. Um, Cause there's the problem of, you know, you get a lead convert it to an opportunity, you get a second lead, same opportunity, you throw it away as opposed to saying, I'm going to attach that to the opportunity and say, Oh my gosh, I know two people part mm-hmm. of a buying group. Mm-hmm. And now I've got, you know, I should have an opportunity that has greater value. However, I'm scoring it than, than before. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is that I think before we got into the whole f- uh, obsession about funnel metrics, you know, yeah. from a marketing perspective is that everybody in the company viewed it as a, we're, we're selling to an account. We're not selling, yeah, that's, you, know, yeah. you know, and even the sales guy was getting a lead. He's getting a lead to yes. an account and that he's going to, he's going to yeah. try to develop into an opportunity. Um, so I think those are, I mean, those are just true, two really big concepts that really make 
the the discussion about well it's certainly what makes the dynamic of the mql sql conversion yeah. process a lot more complicated than uh than it yeah used i to mean it's, i mean as i was as i was thinking when we were when we were chatting ahead of time is this is a huge topic um to cover in in 20 minutes but well, a couple of the things that are coming out there to me is well, well, one of the things as well is, is you talked about account-based selling and marketing there, which we've discussed on the show before. Now, but the, the problem with this part of this funnel technology from marketing automation perspective, they tend to focus on individual folks, don't they? And it's not until it gets into Salesforce that it's then all your CRM, I should say. Other great yeah. CRMs are available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that it actually starts to coalesce as an account, right? That, 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 yeah. that we tend to market to individuals, but sell to accounts. Is, exactly. Oversimplifying this. No, you're not. Over, no, that you're, what you're observing is the oversimplification <laughs> that, that we've been yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's right. It's, it's just, we should be thinking about how we're, you know, you know, how we're marketing and selling to accounts. And I know in, in an earlier episode, I think we, we chucked, yeah. uh, or we made account-based marketing a one hit wonder yes. only by virtue of the fact that, it's all account-based marketing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know. absolutely. Yeah, and but, so from, from yeah, so from that perspective, when we talk about customer journey orchestration, that suggests tracking an individual, right? But if you're looking at an account, that opportunity, your opportunity with that organization, may be being handed from one person to another. So one person maybe downloads the first white paper, has a look at it and thinks, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to recommend this to my boss because I don't have the budget for this and I'm going to make that case. And then the boss picks it up and he has a look and he comes on your website. So there's no way that you, it's going to be very hard for you to understand that that interaction happened in their office, right? If you're, if all you're thinking about is individuals rather than accounts. Correct. And, and, excuse me, customer journey um, orchestration has like a lot of, um, you know, these technical innovations in marketing that's mm -hmm. starting in business to consumer marketing. And it yeah. is, it's, it's ebbing its way over into B2B. So if you look yeah. at the, some of the big, you know, vendors, you know, Thunderhead, Kite Wheel, et cetera, they're, um, they're primarily B2C. They're not exclusively. And as a matter of fact, I remember dealing with a number of, clients that were in that B2B, B2C, you know, either <laughs> we get tripped up on all the Bs, the B2B yeah, or the yeah. B2C to B yeah. uh, or, or the fact that they just have two different business models, but they don't really have the, they don't have the budget to say, let's have different technical solutions for yeah. a variety of things. And then they get into this, this conundrum of, do I, do I just you know buy the products that, that are out there in the market and 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 make them work for uh, tracking accounts, uh, or or do I do I build it? Um, and I think that's where um, right now I'd say it's it's it would be difficult for the typical B two B marketing and selling organization to buy these platforms and and um, and adapt them. But there are companies that are doing very much. Um, the same thing with a suite of off-the-shelf tools, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you if you sort of marry intent monitoring with uh, tools like a people AI that aggregate interactions, so at least every interaction that we can capture, you know, whether it's in the CRM or whether it's in the market automation tool or yeah. if it's off the website, everything we can we we can capture, we can use uh, AI to actually. 
um, join things into accounts and even try to build buying groups and and uh, and understand where buying groups are mm-hmm. and and then um, you know trigger other follow up interactions that that sometimes the platform can do but sometimes it's a matter of just making yeah. sure that that the people who need to know whether it's the salesman or the marketer. Yeah. That need to know that there's, um, you know, you got a live one here and it's time to work. I just realized I'm applying my B2B filter to all of this stuff, but you're quite right that there's a distinct difference between B2C and B2B or B2B to B2C and all those other things um, yeah. where that's quite appropriate. But, um, from, uh, but really, when you're looking at complex buying processes that involves the topic of, of today, MQLs and MQL, SQLs, that's typically a B2B environment, isn't it? Where you've got that yeah. longer stage yep. um, buying thing. I mean, I've been, yeah, I mean, even if you were to buy a, a car or a major, you know, it, you would, you would, you would fall between MQL and SQL pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. <laughs> pretty quickly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, so from, so from a, a customer journey orchestration perspective, how, how do we then do that then? So you've talked about how we can bring all of the interactions together in some of these other platforms. And I'm sure that there's other platforms available aside from people.ai until yeah, I start yeah. getting some sponsorship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then how do you make, how do you make, I mean, how do you, how do you then orchestrate that customer journey? Because there's a lot of talk about the funnel, obviously, and that the funnel's a bit of um, not quite uh, a bit of a wonky model, but also the customer journey. Do you, I mean, people do go through a journey when they're buying stuff so, and then Correct. organizations go through that journey. As we discussed, that may be a handover between different people and a bit of a committee, <laughs> committee going on. But also what do you, what do you make of this a perception at the moment that the, that people don't go through that nurture journey as we believe as marketers, they're actually moving backwards and forwards through that process until they, until something happens or that there are different people in an organization there are different parts of that journey and a decision can get made is is the journey still the right way of describing that in that linear fashion so there i mean i think the um the reality is you're you are trying to apply a uh somewhat linear funnel concept to a um you know, a journey that is, is nonlinear, you know, that the, yeah. that the customer is doing, but yeah. So let's take a couple things that are, well, that are probably easy to figure out. So one is, you know, when it gets qualified for a salesperson to say there's, there's a dollar value, but mm-hmm. that I can attach to an opportunity, taking that to close is a linear journey. Yes. From an internal perspective. Yeah. Because somebody's shown, somebody's shown um, buying intent to such an extent that it's, it's time to talk to a sales guy and handle their objections or where, and, and, and make the transaction happen. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then, but, but before that, so the other thing is that we know, we know whether we've got somebody engaged or not. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, and we may, and we should also be able to identify what our target market is, and you know, mm-hmm. the, what are the what's the type of buyer and buying group that we're looking for mm-hmm. that that's going to lead to the things that we do and sell. So, so as much as the buyers may be going through, uh, you know, whatever odd process they go through, you're going to know what your target addressable market is you're going to know what you're when you've when you see people i mean with things like intent modern stuff like that you can start to see that they're engaged in the market and then with um you know with 
the tools that you've got from your marketing automation, to yes. your website and your CRM, you know, when you've engaged them. So yeah. at the simplest form, it's like they're out there. Yeah. They're looking. Yeah. They're engaged. You yeah. Know? And, and so you, you know, you've prod, you've, you've used broad brushstrokes. Yeah. But you basically, you know, you're, you're, you're categorizing the fact that it's like, okay, like I said before, we got a live one here. Yeah. You know, yeah we got yeah. a couple of leads. We can attach it to an opportunity there. I yeah. mean, there was, there were organizations that we were working with that basically would say, you know, if there's 4,000 accounts out there, I'm going to set up an opportunity for each of those accounts mm-hmm. and they have no value and there's no score because they yeah. haven't done anything with, but as yeah. soon as we start to see them go through yeah. a process, mm-hmm. even with fairly simple tools, yeah, um, we can start to. Uh, well, that's proper ABM, right? You're, you're identifying the accounts that you're going yes. after, and you're you're yes. going to market and sell to them. That, that that's perfect. Um, but, but you know, I, I I would you know again to to not discredit ABM, but it's like all organizations, and this is one of the things I struggle with with other you know clients that we, we've mm-hmm. we've been dealing with is just like. Gosh, you can't even define what account you're after. You can't even define mm-hmm. what industry you're after. You can't even define mm-hmm. what buyer. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you can't define those, mm-hmm. you're just, you know, you're just. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're you're not you're not providing any kind of intelligence to the process. You're just grabbing at stuff as it comes along, which is not smart from a marketing or selling perspective. No, absolutely. So that's um. So I think as we uh, draw, I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, I think I do. I, but, I think I tipped my so hand. Really, customer <laughs> journey orchestration. I don't know what order I prefer this in, but customer journey orchestration, one to watch, one hit wonder or wonder wall. Is that it's, a better way of saying it? Yes. It, it's, <laughs> yes. It right, is so def- <laughs> definitely one to watch. Because, and, and again, because because the companies that are doing this work are, are being very successful in the um uh, B2C area. Mm-hmm. I've known large B2B clients that have been trying to build that mm-hmm. internally, build that platform. Yeah. And I know companies that are, you know, using off the shelf tools that are basically trying to approximate yeah. what a customer journey orchestration does. And so as, as time moves on, I believe the reason it's one to watch is, is how quickly does that move into being successful in the B2B yeah. selling and marketing world? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you very much, Jeff. And I, I actually was when you was, when you were mentioning intent, and I don't want to put you on the spot right now about what we talk about next week. But I quite fancy a chat about intent marketing from what you mentioned there. I think that's that's, sure. that's interesting. So maybe we'll maybe we'll go there you next can, week. You can you can uh, if if you int- want to intend to do that. Yeah, let's see, that's that's see, see what you did then. <laughs> so we intend to talk about intent. Um, now then. We need to think about the music. Now, we've not done a one to watch before, and we were discussing the criteria for one to watch. And based on the fact that um, we've done rather well in exploiting the music of the 70s, 80s. <laughs> so, in the 60s. <laughs> we might have uh, even dipped into the 50s with one, but <laughs> one to A one to watch. Uh, I think you're going to bring us a bit more up to date with this one. I, I, I am because. Yes. It just it's you you want to there needs to be something you want to watch for and um, and so one that thematically you know can kind of fit in this category in terms of the yeah. tune but also is a you know an act to watch is Dua Lupa Lipa yeah with the song um, Be the One perfect well then I should be playing out with that and then next week you will you ret- will I see you next week on the show 
I think we've already done that bit as well. (laughs) I I may have a week off, but I'll be back. (laughs) All right. Well, I look forward to that, Jeff, and uh, I'll speak to you next. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. And here's a top podcasting tip. Ask your regular guest if they're returning next week before you press record. As requested, that was Dua Lipa, Be The One from 2015, an excellent pick. So, Customer Journey Orchestration is a one to watch. Would love to know what you think or if you have something you'd like me to ask Jeff. On to my guest interview and the shortest introductory bio a guest has ever sent me. As you'll hear, Russ Powell is the founder and MD of Sharper B2B. He's a marketing heavyweight B2B tech aficionado and former stand-up comic. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Russ. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Very, very well. Thank you, Ian. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for joining me. Um, so for the listeners, I've, I've just introduced you in the preamble to this. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Russ, uh, founder MD of Sharper B2B Marketing, uh, career B2B marketer, having worked for a variety of large and small tech brands. Um but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a dog owner, I'm a, a occasional runner, um, yeah. a pr- proud, a proud Brightonian, but now live in, um, in Berkshire. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, and also a, a former slash recovering stand-up comic. Yes. Now that's where I wanted to start. Now, um, aside from um, Brighton being a jolly nice place, so I can imagine that you probably missed that if you're in Berkshire, but Berkshire's nice too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've got to start with you being a, a, a former stand-up comic. And normally when I'm chatting to people, I ask them what got them into marketing, but I think we've got to start here. And, and like, what parallel do you see with being a stand-up comic and being a marketer? Well, I think it's, 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 I guess it's more or less the same job because you're basically talking to strangers and mm-hmm. trying to uh, trying to elicit a, a reaction from them. And mm-hmm. if that if that stand up, you're obviously trying to elicit a, a laugh or uh, yeah. or uh, an emotional reaction. And with marketing, it's very much the same. You're not always trying to make people laugh, but you're at least trying to educate, start a conversation, uh, elicit mm-hmm. a reaction that then causes somebody to to do do something else, something that you would like them mm-hmm. to do, and. Yeah, I, I feel like so. My 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 marketing career and my comedy career really grew side by side. Um, so i i did my I did my first ever first ever stand up gig uh, the thirteenth of December two thousand and nine. Uh, not mm-hmm. not not that it's a date etched in my memory or anything like that. <laughs> um, but at the time, had recently just started my first marketing role as well. So right. I did, I did the grad scheme at Fujitsu. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I did sort of a general 
business degree, went onto the grad scheme at Fujitsu, did the first six months in project management and, mm-hmm. um, no offense to any project managers listening to this, but wanted to blow my brains out because it was so boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's actually a good grounding, I think, for marketing because a lot of time we are spinning a lot of plates, aren't we? You, you need to have a bit of that about you, I guess. But yeah, yeah, you've got to be able to organize and, and sort things mm-hmm. out. But yeah, yeah I, I quickly found that I needed the the, the creative element that, that mm-hmm. marketing brings as well. So yeah. Was, was fortunate enough to sort of land uh, land a role still on the still on the grad scheme as a as a comms exec on one of the accounts at Fujitsu, working with one of the other grads who was um, sort of spearheading a, um, a Prince's Trust charity initiative. Then they were yeah. doing running a comedy night, and yeah. um, my mate Paul, um, we're still really good friends now. Um, was like rush you're funny you should you should have a go like just have have a go at stand up <laughs> yeah. and i i'd always wanted to i'd always wanted to do it but yeah. was a little bit scared to try it and maybe a slightly morbid or or, or depressing temper my my dad had passed away earlier on in the year right. and and i was just like well if you want to do something, just do it, just go for yeah. it, just seize the opportunity yeah. and do it. So yeah. kind of cobbled together seven minutes of material, largely about being from Brighton and, and the, the, the preconceptions and assumptions that people make about you if you're from <laughs> Brighton. Um, and, and did, did this gig in, in December, um, December, 2009. And it, it went surprisingly well, it, it right. went, it went well. And I was actually, it's one of my little claim to fame is that first ever gig I did, um, I was on the bill with Rob Beckett, who is oh, now, wow. now yeah. the, the blonde guy with the teeth, and also yeah. um, Lloyd Griffith, who yeah. um, hosted he's hosted Soccer AM for a while. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I did that first gig. It went really well and um, then booked a second gig, which I didn't realize at the time was um, – not not the perfect second gig so i i booked i booked to do the um king gong competition at the comedy store in london right which if anyone doesn't know is essentially a bear pit where you <laughs> where you 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 try and do five minutes without getting gonged off by the audience right, right. um so I did this gig not really understanding what it was right but I beat the gong. I, I did wow. I did five minutes on on my first go. Yeah um but obviously because you're rattling through it, the seven minutes that I had was the five minutes that I did. Yes. And if you're the only one that beats the gong, you win the night. If there's yeah. more than one of you that beats the gong, you then have to do another minute each. Oh, wow. um, and there was me and one other, a, a Scottish Scottish guy called Tony who beat the gong. And the compare was like, right, Russ, Tony, you've got to do a minute. You've got to do another minute. Yeah. And I was like, I haven't got another minute. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, you just have to make something up then. And I just, I just like cobbled together some, some half thoughts and yeah. obviously didn't, didn't win it on the night, but for, I think from there kind of got the bug. Cause like, yeah. I, 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 I love doing this yeah. and yeah. it turns out I've, I think I'm actually quite good at it as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and kind of from there, yeah, so like the, the comedy career and my marketing career really grew side by side for, for quite a yeah. while. Yeah. There was a point where comedy did take over and that could have become my full-time career. But wow. um, at the same time, I got engaged, was looking at getting married and you think yeah. about houses and mortgages and kids and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. although although comedy is a, is a fantastic way to... Mm-hmm 
to to make a living and, and to do as a job um it's not necessarily the most stable um of, no. of careers and i guess for for every for every rob beckett that you see on telly there are a few hundred yeah on on the circuit kind of not not on the telly but no it was amazing it, it was it was a awesome way to kind of spend my 20s kind of traveling around the country did gigs abroad yeah. and did yeah. edinburgh a couple of times as well and it was brilliant i've made made some lifelong friends out of comedy but and i think that that training in yeah. comedy about how to talk to people how to elicit reactions yeah. how to get to the point quickly i was going to say that i was going to say about coming to the point because i've done um you know with seeing having had senior marketing roles i've had to be on stage quite a few times mm. and i must admit part of me wants to be a stand-up comedian when i'm doing that rather than talking about b2b software mm. but um it is about the fact that that audience is only going to come away with two or three things that you say right even if you prepare 45 minutes of of material yeah. and it's it's making that story compelling isn't it? it's the same as what we do as marketers yeah and it's always the thing that i, I always remember before before i started doing comedy and you go to a comedy club yeah. and you'd watch a comic and you'd sit there roaring with laughter for, for yeah. 20, 20 20 minutes whatever and someone would go oh what, what tell us tell us one one of their jokes and yeah you'd be like, and you'd be like uh i can't remember yeah. But you'd be like, is anything a thing? And you, yeah. oh, you had to be there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that thing, yeah. Yeah, that but, must have been addictive. Like, um, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about your comedy rather than about marketing, but that that must have been that must have been very um, addictive, almost to, to be in front of the audience. So the parallel you'd say is that we need to come to the point. We need to develop an emotional reaction whenever we do that. So what originally, and then so you've got. The, so I think you've answered the question. So really, you came out of um, university and you were a sort of classically trained, ready to become a marketer. Then, by the sounds of things. Uh, well, I get, yeah. I, so I did. Um, my, my degree was business management, which was a yeah. very, a very, um, generic, I get general business degree, but kind of the management element of it introduced lots of, um, parts of psychology. Mm -hmm. And that at the time I didn't really know or appreciate would become kind of fundamental yeah. both as a marketer and, and as a comic, because it's yeah. at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's about yeah. how, how you, talk to engage with and interact with people yeah um as people and that's kind of the thing that b2b struggles with a lot is that yeah i was gonna say like bus yeah. businesses talk to people like business bot 4000 and it's like yeah. no they're 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 rust they're ian they're people they have yeah they're, they're fleshy squidgy people with with brains they're not hard yeah. cal calculating robots and um it's um yeah, it's just, it's yeah, that, yeah. That. So that and it's, so that uh, from from a B two B marketing perspective, that's the advice that you're 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 giving there is that is that we need to be people focused rather than talking to businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. there's there's a fantastic a fantastic book. I've not read it yet, but um, uh, Paul Cash from Rooster Punk has just launched a book, humanizing oh, right. humanizing B two B, which is on my on my must read list and. Yeah. Um, shouting out the competition here but he's he's an awesome guy um who yeah. knows what he's talking about and yeah it's 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 one of those fundamental things that at the end of the day it's still people making decisions yeah. it's people you need to talk to people you need to convince and yeah. and people like to be talked to like they're people 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a sucker for book recommendations. So I'm gonna I'm gonna seek that out and probably put it in the show notes as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I ordered I ordered a whole load off Amazon last night. Actually, my my read <laughs> my reading stack got low, so I had to. Maybe, well, maybe that's maybe that's why I'm I'm addicted to telling jokes and reading books. Reading maybe. marketing books. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. Um, do you listen to the marketing book podcast? I, I didn't, um, I didn't know there was a marketing book podcast. Yeah, you should seek it out because I think that um, Amazon are profiting from me listening to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> every every week, I want to read a new marketing book. Anyway, I've, I've digressed lately. So you've 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 been a career B two B marketer. You worked for Dell, Fujitsu, and Atos, uh, and now and um, last year you made the switch to be an agency owner. And I know that a lot of uh, marketers right now there's there's a lot of change in the in the labor market and people are thinking about going on their own what what's what's been your experience of doing that uh, the the main the main catalyst for um sort of start of the agency was actually redundancy so i yeah. I, I i was in an in-house role at a small sort of microsoft um uh, gold partner um yeah called innovate um who now no longer exist hence why i was made redundant right. um <laughs> but um so yeah and this was kind of february last year literally just as covid, oh, wow. COVID yeah. was kicking in and everything was happening yeah. but via via the power of linkedin i was connected to um a chap called dom hawes who is um group ceo of selby anderson group mm-hmm. who are sharper's now um parent company mm-hmm. um so Got a chat to Dom, said, do you have need for a senior B2B marketer? He's been around the block a few times. He said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah actually we do. Um, so I had a conversation and they sort of, they sort of brought me in. And, but the, the idea for Sharper had really been, and I'd been building the business plan kind of in the background for, for a couple yeah. of years. And yeah. it was really, really to tackle the three main frustrations that I felt as a client side marketer. So mm-hmm. Sharper's mission is to make B2B marketing as a whole more creative, more valued and more commercially successful. Mm-hmm. And it's really, and those three frustrations were a lack of creativity. Yeah. Um, everyone's got a blue logo. Everyone uses the same stock imagery. Yeah. Everyone yeah. T- talks about hyperconverge, ultra optimized. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's leading, <laughs> leading, all leading vendors, un- of- unique, all AI yeah. and machine learning and all that kind of Innovation. stuff. But, but because everyone does the same thing, there's a really clear opportunity to be different, to be creative, yeah, to, to stand out. The value and commercial responsibility side of things is the value is primarily from being in large tech businesses where the marketing department still gets called the color and in department yeah. a lot of time. But yeah. that is because marketing and marketers either don't understand or don't effectively communicate the value they add to their business. Yeah. And sort of an element of that is the commercial responsibility. So mm-hmm. I've seen it numerous times where you have, marketers and often sometimes some very senior marketers who don't understand the commercial responsibility they have to their business Mm -hmm. yep so yeah creativity value commercial responsibility is is i love that i love the the creativity thing do you find it hard to actually push that through because i've i've had that in my career where um the leadership team of b2b organizations tend to look at the taillights of their big competitor and what a what a what a big competitor x doing shouldn't we be doing that yeah and i once did an exercise where i took the copy of somebody's web from web web page and then i took the copy of their two main competitors and said can you identify who you are 
And they couldn't, yeah. right? Because they're all saying the same thing because they're copying each other because they're all yeah. looking at each other going. So, but the resistance I had when we when trying to do something genuinely different was that a lot of B2B organizations are quite conservative like that. How do you find that as a struggle? Yeah. So yeah, I think kind of what you're talking about is the the, the age old brief that you get is that like, we, we need to do something creative. We need to do something really different that no one else has ever done before. Yeah. But we want to see some case studies of where other people have done it before, so we know it works. <laughs> it's like you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. But yeah, yeah I think that and a lot, yeah, a lot of B two B B two B firms are conservative with with a, with yeah. a small C, um, and but there are and there are there are different appetites for for mm-hmm. creativity and but because lots of B two B is very dry and dull. Mm-hmm. you don't have to be mind-blowingly <laughs> inventive true. and creative to be seen as creative but you yeah. can be creative with just slight nudges slight tweaks of mm-hmm. things that that help you help you stand out against against the competition so mm-hmm. yeah and i often think there's there's kind of a misunderstanding of of what creativity is especially in the b2b sense so lots of people think that creativity is just for creatives so it's yeah. it's just about fantastic design and pictures and yeah. marvelous video and animation all that kind of stuff but you can be creative with data you can be creative with research with processes mm-hmm. and things like that and it's really yeah. taking what already exists thinking about it in a different way to to produce something new and mm. um and that's often and and a lot of that ties back to to comedy yeah, because yeah. there's not really anything new to talk yeah. about. You just talk about the same things, but in a different way, in a, in a yeah. from, from a different approach. So, yeah, yeah, it's about taking 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 the old and mashing them together to to create something something new and different. Yeah, no, I like that. I also um, and we talk about it on the show quite a bit actually about this idea that CMOs and senior leaders need to get synced up with the rest of the C-suite in terms of growth, in terms of what it is the company's trying to achieve and, and make themselves relevant to those goals rather than, like you say, be the colouring in department. I'm sure that we could explore that in more detail in terms of, but absolutely, that's what we've got to do. But I've got to move on to the last question, I think. So, um, so we, ah, no, I was going to ask you a second thing. You've just celebrated your first year of business. So how's that gone? We have, yeah, we are, we are one year old, um, mm-hmm. as an agency and, um, it's, it's been bizarre and incredible and, and wonderful yeah. at the same time, obviously born, born in lockdown. So, yeah. um, I launched the agency from a combination of, my shed down the end of the garden but in in february that was a bit too cold so i decamped to the my bedroom so kind of yeah. launched launched the agency sat sat on my bed and yeah. um yeah and we've we've kind of won one clients and and grown and we're we're building out the team um yeah. and we've i i say it's it's the hardest job i've ever had but I just love it so much. Yeah. I, I absolutely love what what we do as an agency, the clients we work with and kind of what, what we're building yeah. as well. Yeah. It's, I, um, I think that's also great advice to people that want to that do start this stuff. If you, you've got to love it, 
right? Because mm. it is all consuming. I mean, I'd, I've done it myself and you are constantly only thinking about that, aren't you? And if you didn't love that, then yeah. it's, it's going to be quite the curse. Well, now I will move on to our last question. Okay. Um, and that is that uh, like all rock stars, we chuck things into the swimming pool. Owls is a portal to hell for all the BS snake oil and overhype trends from this craft we love. What would you chuck in the rock star CMO swimming pool? So if we're talking BS snake oil and overhype trends, Yes. I am chucking ABM into the wow. in, into the but <laughs> I, 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 like I will that. I will contextualize this slightly. So yeah. I'm not chucking ABM itself into mm-hmm. the pool. I am chucking the the bullshit masquerading as ABM into yes. into the pool. So yes. so a, ABM done properly when it is account based, accounts as a market of one. And, and everything dedicated to it in a really strategic, thought through, considered way yeah. is awesome. We, there's case studies upon case studies proving that it works and it, it yeah. does what it does. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of resource, takes a lot of effort, but it yeah. is incredibly valued, valuable when done properly on that one-to-one basis. Yeah. It's all the other stuff that gets talked about <laughs> ABM that really, really get gets my goat and, and grinds my gears. And it's even so. I, I, I even wrote a blog about it. Three, three reasons not to do ABM. Right. And one of the reasons is that sixty six percent of what gets talked about as ABM isn't yeah. ABM. Yeah. So you have the one to one, which is ABM. You then have the one to few and the one to many. Yeah. To me, one to few and one to many is just good marketing. Yeah. It's just good marketing yeah. with proper segmentation, identification of the organizations, yeah. individuals, markets you want to go after yeah. and ex- an execution of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'm, 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 binning, yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm binning off all that, all the, uh, all the bullshit, all, all the nonsense. Yeah. All the bollocks. Yeah. yeah. We've, um, I think that happens quite a lot with the, with the swimming pool is that people are throwing in the hype around something that's perfectly good to do. Yeah. But it's actually all the hype and rubbish that people say about it that's the problem. Yeah. And um, I think we, it, it's also yeah. it can it's it's damaging that people yeah. people think they're doing ABM. Yeah. And it doesn't work. So they go, well, yeah. no, ABM ABM yeah, doesn't yeah. work. It's like, no, it yeah. does if you do ABM. You're not doing yeah. ABM, you're doing the nonsense yeah. bit that isn't. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's an excellent nomination. And um, do please share with me a link to that blog post and I'll add it to the show notes. Will do. And on the subject of where people can find you, where's your agency? Uh, physically, we're no longer in my bedroom. Uh, we, we've, <laughs> our, our, HQ, our HQ is in Wakenham. Um, yeah. So on the outskirts of Reading, yeah. but our website is obviously sharperb2b.com. Uh, you mm-hmm. will find us on linkedin you'll find me on linkedin posting out random nonsense on an almost <laughs> daily basis <laughs> well i'll um, i'll include the links to you are you on twitter as well uh no i was right. uh in in my comedy days but have uh, <laughs> have, have phased it out for from a personal All side right. of so i'll include a link to your agency to you on linkedin uh in the show notes and i look forward to chatting to you again thank you very much no, it's been brilliant. Cheers, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, cheers. 
Splendid. Thank you, Russ. The bullshit around ABM, a fabulous candidate for the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. And a topic Jeff and I discuss in episode 50, the golden account-based favorability journey to the virtual bar episode. I will, of course, include links to that, to Russ on LinkedIn and his agency website in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week, Friday evening, and time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Nice to see you in the bar. Uh, here, you know, tonight is as simple as it gets. Um, you know, we often, you and I meet in this bar and do ourselves up Mm -hmm. with fancy, fancy cocktails and, you know, with lots of ingredients. And for some reason, inexplicably every week you struggle to find (laughs) the right ingredients. Not really sure why. Um, but this week it couldn't be simpler uh, I am having, uh, and we are having one of my simplest and most favorite beers, which is a Mexican beer actually, mm-hmm. um, called Modelo. And <sighs> it's as simple as it gets, very lightly salt rimmed glass, a little lime in the beer. And just, it's, it's great for sitting outside and watching the sunset. Oh, lovely. I love a Mondello. Um, we don't, I don't see it very often here, but yes, it was. I can imagine, yes. And, and um, it's one of the things I miss about um, the US is the quality of the Mexican food and, uh, and the Mexican beer that accompanies it. I do have some Mexican beer in the beer fridge in my office, which, is with, with, which I can see, but I have to go with my desktop bar. So let me see if I can conjure up a similar libation from what yeah. is on my, on my desk. So what That's I have, uh, you need to have that cold, right? So I'm going to oh, make yes. mine cold. Good. Yeah, very cold oh, is good. Very cold. And that was the nice thing about beer, Amer- American serving Mexican beer in those frosted glasses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I am going to, um, I'm going to kick off with some, um, just start off with a little bit of gin. I've got, um, what's this? Oh, it's my usual, um, which is the, um, Oh, oh no! I've brought the wrong. I've I've brought the Sitsmiths to my desk by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to like that. So I've got a bit of Sitsmiths, but I will redeem myself with a bit of uh, Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic Water. So I pour a bit. Ah, of that yes, in there. it's the yes. classic. It classic. is. It is the classic. You should buy yourself a variety of tonics so that I you can know. Uh, I should, experiment. Well, you know what I should have is a variety of drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That is delicious, Robert. Yes. Um, cheers to you, my friend. I could drink I, these. You know, this is one of those things where you can have four or five of those yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. uh, yeah. makes the evening go down. Swear. Yeah, I could, I could drink this. Is it the dark Mondello that you like? Uh, I like both. Uh, mm-hmm. What we're drinking tonight is the lighter version, which is, uh, uh, you know, a, a as, as my dad used to call it, a drinking beer. <laughs> right, not a sipping beer. Um, 
<laughs> Sometimes so, that's referred in here, over here as a cooking beer, just your regular. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that too. That's most American beer, quite frankly. Is, yes. <laughs> so, and uh, this uh, this could open up anyway. Where where are we going to be transported to this week to drink these? Well, I think we have to be at the beach, um, mm-hmm. and I know we get to the beach quite a bit. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I think we'll stay here in um, in beautiful Los Angeles. Um, nice. We are, you know, we are coming off of lockdown here um, mm-hmm. in Southern California, and uh, knock on wood, doing better than the rest of the other forty nine states yeah. um, in terms of new cases and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So they have lifted many of the mandates here, uh, including, uh, of course, the CDC has now come out and said that uh, the masks can be worn out. I don't have to be worn outside. So I think right. we find ourselves a comfy little cafe on the beach here in L.A. and mm-hmm. um, watch the sunset because there's and there's a beautiful hotel actually where they have a lovely porch. Um, which uh, is a little elevated so you can actually watch the sunset here and it's just absolutely spectacular. That sounds amazing. Uh, We, yes, we're having a gray, miserable day today. So that I'm elevated and transported Ah, by the very vision. Isn't that, that's Tuesday in (laughs) in England, yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we've been spoiled. I think maybe we've had our summer already. (laughs) Oh, I see. Yeah, well. This is it now. <laughs> so, right. and then, uh, uh, I mean, sitting on a porch uh, with, a, with a couple of uh, couple of beers, looking at a sunset sounds perfect. But we will, as I do, interrupt our thoughts with uh, a conversation about marketing. And what is it we'd be discussing this week? Right. Well, it's got something to do with um, you know the you've, you're familiar with the term. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, uh, you know, this this has just come up for me in the in the last week in, in, in talking, um, you know, about this from two perspectives. One is mm-hmm. from a personal perspective. So, you know, when we sort of leave well enough alone, in other words, don't fix, um, you know, those those things that are broken um, it can lead to a lot bigger challenges, right? So, you know, and the personal <laughs> situation is my refrigerator started making these very weird sounds about, mm-hmm. you know, two months ago. And I was like, well, ah, it's, you know, it's weird sound. What are you going to do? Right. I'll live with the noise. <laughs> you know, the refrigerator still worked, but then one day, nope, the refrigerator decided to stop working. And if I had just gotten it fixed yes. uh, when it started to making noise, I wouldn't have to deal with what we had to deal with last week, which was, of course, emptying out the refrigerator, waiting for mm. the repair guy, watch, you know, doing its thing. It was a mm. whole ton of work. Yeah. And so the interesting thing to me is, and this plays into what also happened last week, is that, you know, part of our job as marketing team leads is to be watching out for those noisy refrigerators. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're always watching out for those warning signs and in trying to invest in continuous change in many cases. So product marketing communications, we're all prepared to respond to any new disruption as it might come up. And of mm-hmm. course, that means revising or improving content programs or platforms because things that may work today, well, they might be a noisy refrigerator and become broken tomorrow. 
And mm-hmm. so interestingly, this client that I was speaking with had the, this exact problem. They're a B2C company. Um, and there's, you know, the big thing in B2C now is to create communities, right? To create, create this idea yeah. of subscribed audience or community. And, and yeah. they were doing that and had done that for their customers where you could buy their product and without going into too much detail, you could scan a QR code and basically get access to this quiet, you know, this private community of customers. Mm-hmm. And they had content in there and exclusive things and how to use and all this kind of thing. And it was wildly successful. They, you know, they, over the course of the nine months, they had gotten about 250,000 subscribers to their community and it was great. Wow. It was all, you know, everybody was happy with it, mm-hmm. but the brand team last month, a couple of months ago, actually now, um, decided they were going to pull rank and look at the success and go, Hey, I know what we need to do. We need to open this up, uh, to everybody, right? Customers and not, we'll get all sorts of SEO benefit out of it. We'll get the brand benefit oh out of it. Gosh. We'll get all this stuff, yeah. uh, win out of it. And then what happened is they just ruined it. They just, they just mm-hmm. ruined it because as they started to see the new people that were coming in had no context for all the how to's and exclusive mm-hmm. content that the customers had access to. So that started to perform really poorly, which of course gave them incentive to do new content, which was much more around how to buy the product, how to get the product, which of course really killed off the audience quite, you know, they have no more sense of exclusivity or anything. And they basically broke the whole thing by trying to fix it. And what it just teaches me is, is that, you know, whenever we're trying to fix something that's already working as it is intended, we should just take a beat and ask ourselves, is what we're really trying to do is do something new instead, right? And, and mm-hmm. that's you know, and anyway, that's where that's what we're talking about. This. No, week. I like I like that, and I think um, I, I think maybe you you've talked about this before in that in that there's a sense of scale sometimes, isn't there? Particularly in B two C, that it's like many of us would look at an audience that you've managed to capture in that period of time as two hundred fifty thousand, going, well, that's doing rather well. We we can certainly leverage that audience for some benefit of ours from a content marketing perspective but then when you look at the potential audience perhaps for that product that didn't seem to be so good but you've got 250,000 engaged consumers right rather than just anybody exactly well yeah. and and you know what it you know I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately would it, it you know my friend Joe Polizzi and I were talking mm-hmm. about this just the other day on our podcast where we, we were talking about, you know, one of the things that we often see is businesses these days um, doing version 2.0 or version 3.0 of their content strategy. And the reason they're on 2.0 or 3.0 is because they launched some cool blog or some cool yeah. publication and treated it like just an alternative to advertising, right? They just, you know, it was just, you know, for them, yeah, it was just an alternative to advertising. And and, and if it engaged people, great. And that's, you know, it seems like a good alternative. And it ultimately, at some point, doesn't perform as well because it just gets old and it's not, Mm. it's not built for that. And instead, the ones that seem to be lasting, if we look at literally the Red Bull media houses and Mm -hmm. some of these other companies that, you know, Cleveland Clinic and some of these other brands that tend to have built something in 2013 that's still as good, if not exponentially yeah. better today, is that they've recognized that there is 
a strategic purpose and a long game to be played here and they yeah. stick to it. Yeah. And they just, they just, you know, they stick on making, making it better, certainly fixing what's broken, but they're not trying to sort of just look at it as a temporary campaign yeah. of how it's a replacement for some other campaign they did. Yeah. And I, um, when I talk to clients or employers about, about starting those kinds of initiatives, I'm always counseling that this is not going to be something that's going to um, bring a return in the first two, three, four, five quarters, potentially, right? That you're building an owned asset and that takes time. Yeah, that's right. It's like, you know, I mean, we've said it on this show and we've said it on mm. other places that yeah. this is much more of a product development methodology yes. than it is a a, a, a campaign-based methodology. And yeah. looking at, at it as such can really help you because, you know, trying to look at what's broken or what needs fixing, yeah. you know, if you look at it in that very short-term campaign rinse and repeat type of methodology... It can very much look like things are broken on a month to month or week to week basis. But if you look at it as a product that's going to get better and better over time, yeah. all of a sudden you go, you wouldn't, you know, you know, for example, if you made iPhones, you yeah. wouldn't go, Ooh, you know, there's a whole other market out there. This would make this better if we just opened the iPhone up to Android as well. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's like, no, yeah. that's not, that's yeah. not that you're breaking the product when it's not broken. Yeah. And but, that's often what we do with our marketing content is we go, ooh, there's something bigger and better out there and shiny. Yeah. We should just fix this thing. Yeah. Well, I think the and what what I was thinking about there with um, your your B2C chum was that um, or client is that uh, is there's no going back from there, is there? I mean, you've 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 ruined it. I mean, you've created this this lovely community of, of customers that were leaning in and very engaged and felt they were part of something. You can't do that again, can you? Because you've broken it. You, you know, it, I think I think it's situational, mm -hmm. probably. Um, you know, it, it, it's I think in their particular case, they could fix it now that it definitely is broken mm -hmm. um but you, know, you can't could, what would you do you couldn't scrub the community and say i'm sorry you're no longer welcome because you're you don't qualify uh would they need to spin it up around a different well they could i mean you're not taking anything if, if you think about it if, if they were to suddenly make it you know back to if they suddenly you know tomorrow turned it back to a you needed to have purchased the product they're not going to yeah. you know the, the, the only people they might turn off are people that's very small percentage of people who were going to who were perhaps yeah engaged um, and enough that they were going to buy the product. Yeah. And now all of a sudden and were loyal yeah. and, and passionate enough about the content that they were really getting yeah. a lot out of it, which, of course, makes the makes infinite business case to say, well, if there's enough of those, you should have built something new to begin with. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think the the. The, the risk of of turning it back into a for them a risk of turning it back into a um, uh, a customer only community yeah. is probably pretty low. However, yeah. to your point, that risk grows day by day, hour by hour. Yeah. But but about I mean the thing they've also lost though isn't haven't they lost um, 
some level of trust with with that that audience even if they were to roll back the, mm-hmm. that audience aren't they aren't they gone aren't they already now just dumping those emails into spam or you know no longer if feeling the love is there is there a way back in that respect yeah there's probably a certain percentage of them that wouldn't yeah. come back right yeah yeah you know there's probably a certain percentage of that wouldn't that wouldn't come back but but and and i think that's a, a great point is is that you will have forever lost some of that goodwill yeah. that you had built up with your customers by by basically yeah. spoiling it with you know ostensibly you know a, a, a an assumption that you're always a buyer right you're yeah. never part of a community you're actually we see you always as a potential customer mm-hmm. and buy 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 and so it's like and then they say bye bye right yeah um, <laughs> the thrill is gone <laughs> you know yeah. but uh, again, I think, yeah, I think there's probably some opportunity there, you know, yeah. certainly if I'm the marketing lead there, I'm, I'm un, you know, unfixing the break. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, even if it, you know, for that, it, it seems like, you know, let's try, let's at least try and save the patient before it, you know, yeah. dies on the table. Yeah, what a shame. Um, and and normally we have a bit more of an uplifting tale at the, over these, these drinks. Maybe this, uh, we're having one of those melancholy drinking evenings, <laughs> lamenting the loss of the audience that now no longer love us. But what, what's um, the, the positive on this is is that there's that potential, isn't it? We've just got to be really careful when we've created an audience to be um, respectful of that, I guess, isn't it? And if you don't go change it, yeah, I think it's I think it's all all positive i think you know, <laughs> these are good problems to have right yeah yeah you know if you if if you have a problem that your community has been you know your customer community has been wildly successful <laughs> and you know and your brand team is coming to you and saying hey yeah. we need to open this up for all of these amazing new customers we're going to get yeah you know it's 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 a good challenge yeah. right you know, that's a, that's a nice problem to have to face. Yeah. They, you know, they arguably made a mistake in what they did, but you know, this means they're doing a lot of other things really well. Yeah. So there's a way back. So that's, that's a good end to the story then. Yeah, for sure. You should return to the bar. It's just, it's as my, one of my old bosses used to say, it's just marketing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would have been the great name of the uh, podcast if I thought of that. (laughs) It's just marketing. And and I think we're coming up for titles of books every week as well at this rate. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, mate. Well, thank you for that thought. And uh, where might people find other thoughts of yours if they were to... Uh, well, you can see it at our little customer community, of which we do not have 250,000 people <laughs> on, which is our little home on the web called contentadvisory.net. Uh-huh. But all of those people are treasured, aren't they? I mean, you're not going to go go changing that, are you? That, that, uh, you know, you I mean, it's, argu- it's, I, you know I, it's arguable whether we serve any value at all, but, you know, we do try. <laughs> we do try. And when, and when the listener spins a dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Robert underscore Rose. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn by doing a search and doing whatever LinkedIn does. Yes, whatever LinkedIn does. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, mate. And uh, will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Robert. A good lesson. Creating communities is about building trust. And let's not be too quick to leverage or monetize that. What do you think? 
So that's a wrap on episode 60 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Russ and Robert. I really appreciate their time. So please check the show notes, click their links, follow them and take a look at their work. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm. We can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Hope you enjoyed the show. Does the world need another FE Marketing Podcast? Please let me know what you think. Pull up your favourite podcast app, leave a rating, review and subscribe. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is taking a week off. I'm chatting to Margot Bloomstein about her new book, Trustworthy, how the smartest brands beat cynicism and bridge the trust gap. And as you heard, Robert Rhodes will be back in our virtual rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.